0: Hey, i'm so excited about this and gosh we have a lot of guests here today thank you however I knew there would be a lot of guests here today and here's the reason because i know I, i've learned there's there's two things that will draw guests in just i don't know why it is if a pastor preaches on giving that's the day all the guests will show up don't worry i'm not preaching on giving today or if they're preaching on some kind of sin and that I am today all right so you're going if this is your only shot at being with us today you're going to think what is it with this judgmental kind? No, let me. I will explain it. All right, but today we're going to talk about sin and a particular kind of sin. We're talking about sexual sin, about rationalizing sexual sin. But before we get into that, let me explain why we're doing that today. But I want to encourage you, guests, if you guys are here today, we'd love to make sure you fill out a guest card because we'd love to stay in contact with you. We will not spam you. We will not um, put you on some kind of long mailing list unless you ask to be. But um, uh, we'll just like to to know who you are and get to know you. and and uh, if you're a first-time guest, we've got a gift for you, too. So, appreciate you guys being there. So, why are we talking about sexual sin today? Well, it's because we've been talking, we've been going through the book of Acts, and Paul has just gotten into Corinth. And Corinth was known for its sexual sin. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. So, I thought we'd diverge for a little bit and just talk about something like this. They say that preachers have two jobs that they do when they preach. One is to comfort the afflicted, and the other is to afflict the comfortable. And so normally my sermons are about comforting the afflicted, but today we're going to switch it around just a little bit, <coughs> but we'll get to it together there. <coughs> Excuse me. Before we do, I want to talk about rationalization for a moment. Humans are great at rationalizing things. Um, I've talked to some Christian businessmen who've said things like, I have to lie on my job bids and under, underestimate the job because my competitors are going to do the same thing. So if I don't lie about and say I can get the job done lower than I say, and man, that freaks me out. That's a rationalization. He says that part of my job I have to lie to my customers. I talked to an airline pilot, a believer in Christ, who was an airline pilot who said if <coughs> if, I, uh, if I am not where I need to be, I have to lie and call in sick because if I don't, I'll, I'll lose my job for not being in the, in the city I need to be in. I thought that's just crazy. Of that. I've heard other people say I needed to lie about my charitable gifts, my charitable contributions on my income tax because I overpaid my income tax last year. You know, I th- you, know, you can't file an amended return, but that's a no, I, I, need, I need to lie about it. Um, but rationalization is not always bad. I rationalize a few things. I tell myself that I can, I can eat ice cream because it's full of empty calories. And empty calories, empty things way less. So I'm not gaining as much when I eat empty calories as those heavy calories That you got John? You're with me there? All right. So, uh, but the the best, well, I'll even share with you um, a comedian, (coughs) maybe not the best role model, but comedian Paula Poundstone talked about how she could wind up rationalizing eating a whole box of Pop-Tarts. She says it's because of the way they're packaged. I'll just open one and it's just going to be a snack. But then I have just, is the way they're packaged. You open a box of Pop-Tarts, there's three packages of two each. So open one and I eat it well now I've got another one there going stale, so I need to eat it because it's gonna go stale. Well now I've eaten two and it's not just a snack, it's a meal, and two really isn't enough for a meal, so I need a third one to make it a meal. Well then I've got another one just hanging out by itself, so I have to eat it too, and then I just don't want the box left there with just two things in it, so I'm really eating the last two is just tidying up is all it does, I'm just just cleaning up. So there's rationalizations, but the best rationalization I've ever heard was my son when he was six years old. I don't know why this kid didn't become a lawyer. But at six years old, he, he gave my wife and me this argument for why we needed to buy him a Game Boy, I think it was the Game Boy DS back then. He says, look, if you buy it, then you can use it to ground me from when I'm misbehaving and I'll behave a lot better. And I think we actually bought it, I don't know. I can't remember now for sure if that's when we got him one or not. But, but we rationalize a lot of things. <coughs> By the way, if, if you're a rationalizer, I want to let you know that there is actually a national rationalization day. It's February 23rd of next year. So if you want to rationalize, that's the day for it. But there are times that rationalization can get you in trouble. And one of the worst things we can rationalize is sexual sin. And that's what the Corinthians did. And so we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter (coughs) 5, excuse me, chapter 6. I wrote it down wrong. I hope it says chapter chapter 6 in your notes. I have it 5 in mine for some reason. So First Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 to 20. We'll have it on the screen. It's also on your sheet. It's also in the Bibles there on your, in your chairs <coughs> if you want to see it uh, there with it. So let's read that together, verses 12 through 20. Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he says, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will do away with both of them. Now, that sounds like a weird thing, but we'll explain it. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Don't you know that your bodies are part of Christ's body? Should I take a part of Christ's body and make it a part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone who is joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For scripture says the two will become one flesh but anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have from God. You are not your own. Therefore glorify God with your body. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this point of our worship time, we thank you, Father, for the songs you've given us, the voices we can lift up, the gift of music. Father, thank you for the, that we know that you are gathered here to hear the prayers of your people. And Father, we know that you could worship with us anywhere. But Father, thank you that you have set this place apart for us at this time, for us to join together as your body, known as Fresno Church. And Father, as we look into your word today, Father, help us have a sense of what you expect from us, <coughs> but not to focus on guilt, but to focus on forgiveness that you offered us through Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. So let's get back to, to Corinth here for a little bit. So Paul's arrived in Corinth. If you weren't here with us last time, um, do you know that, that you, you, you might not know, so I'm gonna rehash this a little bit. Corinth was a major commercial city it was probably the closest thing, I think, to San Francisco at that point. It was, it was a commercial hub, it was on the Peloponnesian Peninsula, and it was on the Isthmus of Corinth right there, a small uh, part of land there that, that actually what they would do, rather than sailing all around that big Peloponnesian Peninsula, they would sometimes haul ships over land on rollers about four miles across to the other side so that it saved a lot of time. It was sort of like an early version of the Panama Canal or the Suez Canal, but it wasn't a canal. Actually, in the 1800s, they did build a canal there, and so you could actually take a cruise ship through it, but but at that time, it was an overland thing. But it brought in a lot of money, and it was a place that all the sailors knew, but it was also a place known for, well, just a a kind of anything goes kind of town. Like I said, a lot like San Francisco was or has been. In fact, we talked about that there was a, a phrase back then, live like a Corinthian. Also, I found out there was another, they had an adjective called Corinthianize, Corinthianize, which meant to live in debauchery, to say that they were living like a Corinthian or they're Corinthianizing their life. That's just basically what it meant. It, and one of the things was, the big things was at the top of the city on the Acrocorinth there was the, um, the uh, Temple of Aphrodite, who was the goddess of love. And as I mentioned last week, one Roman historian named Strabo mentions, and we're not sure if, he's really, if he was exaggerating or not, but he says there was many as ten, uh, many as a thousand temple prostitutes there. And so a place where sailors would come, a place where prostitutes were, man, is that not a great church growth plan right there, okay? You to grow, if you want to grow a church, that might be a way to do it nowadays, to say, here, come, come meet with our temple priestesses, have an evening with them or whatever, I'm not, we're not doing that, church, don't, don't worry, okay, that's not happening here. But I'm saying that was, that was that kind of town where anything went. And so the Corinthian Christians lived in a community that exalted sexual promiscuity. And consequently, sexual sin seeped into the church. It does happen sometimes. And just like many Christ- Christians today, they had all kinds of rationalizations of why they could be like the rest of culture. Because our natural response to sin is to rationalize. Now before we get to the points, I wanna say a couple of things, what this sermon is not about. This is not about um, this is not about same-sex marriage, it's not about homosexual I think our, everybody knows where our church stands on that. So you can apply to all that, but this is not really anything. This is about us and our purity and about what God expects from us right now. Now I'm not talking about this today because this has been a rampant problem in the church. So if you're out there don't think I'm preaching at you, okay? Like did he what has he found out? Has he you know has he found something online or what? it's not about anything like that. It's simply, where Paul has been and I thought we'd talk about what the Corinthian life was like and what Paul was dealing with as he dealt with these people but it's also something for us to learn as we work on our own growth and as we turn over more of our life to Jesus and that is a part of our life young people when you're here some of you became Christians when you were young and you know I became a Christian when I was six and I gave everything I knew about me to everything I knew about Jesus at that point but when I was six I did not give over my sex life to Jesus because I didn't have one at that point And so as we grow in our maturity as we grow in our relationships there becomes more and more of our life we need to go over to him and so just a good reminder for all of us not just young but old as well that this is a part of our life that we need to continually yield to the Lordship of Jesus so let's look at some of the rationalizations that they were hearing in Corinth the first rationalization was hey we're forgiven so what does it matter and that's that's exactly what they said in verse 12 people were quoting Paul but this is sort of a thing like hey everything's permissible for me everything is lawful so they were saying it's okay to be sexually active outside marriage because we aren't under the law anymore I'm free to do anything I want and I hate to say this but in one sense they were absolutely correct in one sense Jesus has paid it all he's taken care of all of our sin we don't bear the guilt of sin anymore we bear the consequences of sin but we don't bear the guilt of sin anymore when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for all sin. And when we accept Jesus as our Savior, we're freed from the penalty of sin. And once you're a Christian, there's nothing that you can do that can break your relationship with Christ. So in theory, you can sin all you want and still go to heaven. But before you guys get all excited about that, there are a couple of problems with that, okay? So I'm just saying, if you look at, the, at just the mathematics of it, Jesus paid the price for our sin. If we accept him, it's theoretically possible that we can sin in these ways and still go to heaven because we believe it's what Jesus did, not what we did. But here's some of the problems of that. Let's talk about it. First, if you truly have made Jesus your savior and Lord, you should want to sin less and less. That's actually part of becoming a Christian is you start becoming more like Jesus. You start getting where sin does not bring the pleasure for you does anymore let's be honest sin is fun for most of us we we're we're we are are broken humans and we sin because we enjoy it I worked a lot of time with teenagers in fact anybody ever heard of True Love Waits? Does anybody remember when that was really popular? I was actually the the California representative for True Love Waits so I wound up getting phone calls from you know uh, the Washington Post and the New York Times and the San Diego Union Tribune and San Francisco Chronicle um, and so I so I talked about this a lot, and teenagers will always say, "Well, sex outside marriage is fun." Of course it is. If sex outside marriage wasn't fun, sex in marriage wouldn't be fun. I mean, it's how He designed us. But once you become more like Jesus, doing things that are outside His will for us have less and less appeal for us. In fact, in Romans chapter two, verse uh, chapter six, verses one and two, it says what paul says what then should we say should we continue in sin so that god's grace may multiply absolutely not how can he who died to sin still live in it when we accept jesus as our lord we die to sin and so for us to still live in it would be crazy so we say even though it's permissible it's not who our nature is now it's 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 different from our nature when you do sin even though your relationship with jesus may not change you're still as christian your closest to him your fellowship with him does change for those of you who are married if you hurt your spouse's feelings you can go and apologize and be sincere about it and you're still married to that spouse but let's be honest you're not as close in fact you could ask for forgiveness but men you might still be sleeping on the couch tonight okay just because it takes a while because it hurts when you do that same thing true with friends young people When you hurt a friend's feeling, even though you may sincerely apologize, it does mess up your relationship some. When we sin, it pushes us away from Jesus. And as we're going to see in a moment, I believe sexual sin pushes us away further. But we'll talk about it in a moment. This week I was listening to a podcast by a respected Christian leader who quoted an abortion clinic nurse and said that most of the women who came in for abortions at her clinic were either Baptist or Catholic, that they professed that. And he said, here's what I heard, these women that came in and got abortions, the Catholics were saying, I know, I know that God doesn't want this, but I'll go to confession next week and it'll be okay. And said the Baptists would come in and say, hey, you know, and by the for guests, that's our background of a church, we don't have it in our name now, but that's, that's our historic background here. Um, that they would come in and say, hey, I know this is wrong, I know this is not what God wants, but, you know, once saved, always saved, so I'm going to be okay. And while both of those things are true, it's still sad that they were using this rationalization to say, it's okay because I know God's going to wind up forgiving me for it. And he will forgive you for it, but I want you to forget this, remember this. And guys, if you don't remember anything out of this sermon but this, I want you to remember this. Never let this fact escape your notice. God's forgiveness is always free but it is never cheap. You guys understand what I mean by that? God's forgiveness is free, but it's never cheap because it cost the life of his son. And so when we sin, we're leaning into those things that put Jesus on the cross. You are forgiven of the penalty of sin through the blood of Jesus, the son of, uh, through Jesus, the Son of God, which he set on, shed on the cross for you, but it wasn't just his blood. We talk about his blood a lot. But it was his life. He suffered, bled, and died on the cross. And more than that, Jesus spent three days separated from the Father. He had been in perfect communion with the Father since before the foundation of the world for all eternity. And for those three days, he severed his relationship with them because he bore the penalty of our sins. And if we do anything that promotes sin and just say, I'm forgiven, it cheapens the death of Jesus. And here's what it says, it says that you've accepted Jesus as Savior, but not, but not as Lord. And boy, that does make it cheap. So I want to encourage you right now, that when we talk about accepting Jesus in your life, believing in Jesus, it means you accept that he's your Savior because he died on the cross, but it also means you accept him as Lord of your life. And again, if you we don't use that word very often. Ladies, when's the last time you looked at my husband and said, yes, my Lord? No, we just don't do that, Okay. All right, but it basic is a word that means boss. That's what it means at that point. It just means Jesus. you're giving Jesus the, 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 the freedom, the, the, the permission to be boss of your life. And Jesus says, if you're gonna accept my forgiveness, you are also accepting a relationship with me, a relationship where I lead your life and I help you become more like me. And this is something we sometimes miss when we talk about God's grace. And I, I talk about God's grace a lot I'm only talking about leadership and moving forward and, 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 and leaning into God's grace. But a relationship with Jesus isn't something that happens just because you start to believe that there's a God and that his name is Jesus. I want you to hear this. Becoming a Christian is not, doesn't happen because, and a relationship with Jesus is not something that because you say, oh, I believe there's a God and I believe his name is Jesus. And I like what I learned about him and I want to start living the kind of life that he preached. It's also acknowledging the fact that it was your sin that helped put him on the cross. That it's a personal thing. And I'm gonna let you know, it is personal. It is personal that Jesus truly died for you. Jesus didn't just come to say, here's what life is like, here's what it's like if you live the kind of life I want you to live. Jesus said, Anthony, you're screwed up, man. And I gave my life on the cross for you i created you and i like you and i want to share life with you that's what it's all about it's not just i'm a good god and i saved everybody but you know, it your sins and your sins and your sins and your sins and your sin it's personal and we should never forget that and so following jesus is not just about being saved it's about having a relationship with him where he is your lord your boss and again, so you see, we're not really talking just about sexual sin here. This is a placeholder we're talking about. You could, you could plug any kind of sin in here at that point. But with sexual sin, there's another problem here. Paul counters with this, that he says, all right, you may say everything's permissible for me, everything's lawful for me, but he says, not everything's good for me. Not everything's profitable. And he says, everything okay, is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And there's a play on words here actually in the Greek. Paul says, I have the power to do anything, but I won't let anything overpower me. That's what he's saying. I want you to think for a moment of all the problems caused by sexual hunger controlling people. Rape, divorce, abortion, jealousy, homosexuality, prostitution, pornography, confused families, broken relationships, shame, sexually transmitted diseases, AIDS. The list is huge, and it could go on and on. And you know, maybe I hit one that comes home in your family, maybe I'm hitting one, maybe you've got another one that I haven't thought about. But it's huge and it's all around us. And there's some people try to say, if we made it just all okay, if we just said it was all alright, then there would be no problem. There's actually an organization, I'm gonna tell you the name of an organization, I don't want you googling it, all right, because I know some of you might, but an organization of Christians that believe that I, they believe they follow Jesus, but sexual liberation is part of it. And so they will have these orgy worship services. Now, I think the organization is about died, probably from some disease, Best, I but I can't tell, but I don't know. Uh, but I'm just saying there are people that actually go that far that say that's that's we're so free to do that kind of thing. But I can tell you, I don't believe they have healthy relationships, including their healthy relationship with Jesus. Paul says it's not good for you. It's not profitable for you it will master you and i want you to know this sexual sin will control you and i believe it controls you more than any other sin does and we'll talk about that again in a moment so there's an old saying about sin that says about freedom i should say that says freedom is the ability to choose who your master will be and so do you want to let jesus be your lord or let sin be your lord either way that's what it comes down to sexual sin will control you so that rationalization about hey we're all forgiven it doesn't hold water because he says it'll master you to take you away from Jesus it's not what the Christ life is all about but they had a second rationalization this one I term is it's just sex it's just sex um and that's basically what people were saying and it's hard to see it in this passage but they he uses this phrase foods for the stomach and the stomach's for food and that was a phrase we believe that they were using back then and saying basically all right food, our stomach's made to eat food, right? So what's wrong with eating food? Well, the extension of that was other parts of our body are made for other things. So what's wrong with using those parts of our body? That's exactly what they're saying. It's not anything big deal. It's just like eating. All right? Or I've heard the phrase, people talk about sex is just like candy. All right? Well, that's, I don't even want to go there. Okay? There's, uh, this is never mind. All right. So these Christians were influenced by Greek thought that said the body and soul were completely separate. That whatever you did with your body didn't matter. It's just a body thing. It just didn't matter at all. And in Corinth, we talked about it before, there were a lot of Stoic and Epicurean people. Paul ran into them in Athens as well. And they just said, it just just doesn't matter what you do with your body. If sex controls my body, it's no big deal because that's what my body is for. Just like food is for my stomach, my stomach's for food. My plumbing was made for sex and sex was made for my plumbing. My, my mind and my soul really aren't involved. Uh, but the trouble is in Hebrew thought, which is where Christianity comes out of, the body and the soul were deeply connected. Paul, so Paul says in verse 13, you say food's for the stomach and the stomach's for food, but God's gonna get rid of both of those. Those aren't gonna matter at one point. They all belong to God. And he says, so those things are gonna be done away with, but the body is not meant for sexual immorality but the body was meant for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And this he goes on in the rest of this passage. We don't have time to get into all of it today, all right? Um, am I out of time already? All right. Oh, I, I used to have a clock going there, and it looks like it reset already. So, all right. What time to, all right. I just don't want us to go too long. I thought I was, I thought I was over time already, in which case you guys have to listen a lot faster. I've said that before. Um, all right. All uh, right. So Paul's saying, um, well, we're not gonna take time to go into all the, all the passage here, but here's what Paul's saying, in the rest of the Bible: says, how deeply sex affects the body, and his whole thought culminates in verse 18. He says, all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Paul is saying that sexual sin is more intimate than other sins. So in other words, sexual sin not only controls your body, but it controls every aspect of your life. It gets into your mind. It gets into just who all that you are. And I know this may make some of you uncomfortable, but again, like I say, uh, we, it's sometimes when you talk about these things. And guys, again, guess, this is not where we live on. We don't, we don't live out of judgment here, but we do want to look at what the Bible says about some of these things occasionally. And so today happens to be the day we're looking at one of them, again, because Paul was in, in Corinth. So here's what I truly believe. Though I believe that all sins are the same as far as breaking our relationship with Jesus, I do, or our fellowship with Jesus, I do believe that sexual sin takes us away from God further and faster than any other sin. I believe that is the case. The reason for this is because God has made us sexual creatures. It's part of his plan for us. And can you think of any area of your life that's not affected by your sex, your clothing, the restrooms you use, sports, jobs, how we're, you know, again, I'm not saying that people should be limited to job by their sex, but there's certain, certain jobs appeal to certain sexes, things like that. Your names, family, health. And again, there's, there's exceptions, there's outliers to this, so I'm not trying to say that women should never wear pants, you know, and... Men should never wear dresses. If you do, wear them long though, guys, and or shave your legs. It, no, I'm not getting, I'm not gonna be silly there. It's gonna be recorded here, and I'm not trying to I don't want to minimize something that's that's an issue and all right, so we're just gonna come back to this. Now, I'm not saying that being male or female puts you in a tiny box and that every expression of male and female needs to be the same. I think that's one of the things where we failed in the church as we said you know, this is what a man looks like, and that's all it should be, and this is what a woman looks like, and all it should be, and this is how a husband and wife ought to relate to each other. I think there's freedom in that, and there are some men that are much more in, in tune with their feminine side. It's, 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 it's there. There are certain things they, they like doing. Um, you know, my son loves to cook. He's, he's a great cook. He happens to, to love that kind of stuff. Um, I've known, you know, my daughter is into Star Wars, and you th- and she's like into battles, and, and you know, and I, I made this mistake, too. I kept wanting to get my son to watch Braveheart with me. All right, men, right, Braveheart, that is like, yeah. All right, and my daughter got in my face one time. She said, you've never asked me to watch Braveheart with you, and I went, oh, my gosh. My daughter was so into stuff like that, you know, And it, we, and, and I think we've messed up in the church by trying to put things into a tiny box, okay, and I think that's why we're finding some of this gender dysphoria stuff, but that's a topic for another sermon when your new pastor comes, all right? um, But I want to say this, if you look at even the stuff we're going through in this world right now about people who say they're non-binary, and I teach in the, I I sub in the public schools, I have to learn to do that and respect kids that that are, that may or may not be confused in these issues, all right? But I'm saying even those who say they are non-binary or some other imagined gender or whatever, their sex and their perceived gender even affects every area of their life. They're actually proving my point here. That sex, however you perceive it, defines so much of your life. So much more than other stuff does. Okay, so much other other stuff. If you cheated in hi- if you cheat in high school, it probably doesn't affect me too much. It probably doesn't affect other things, but sex winds up affecting the body not only your own physical body, but the body of Christ because it affects who you are. It can, If you let sex control your life the way that the world sees sex today, it affects every area of your life and it will control every area of your life. So the people who say it's just sex, that's almost like somebody tossing a hand grenade in this room and saying it's just a hand grenade. That doesn't limit the effects of it there. It's still a problem that we're having to deal with. In 1 John chapter 2, John says that the, the lust of the flesh is mentioned as one of the three main things that come from the world and not from God. I didn't put it on the screen, but here it is, 1 John two fifteen and 16. For everything that belongs to this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but is from the world. That's the lust of the flesh. And to be honest, the lust of the eyes, that's a lot has a lot to do with sexual sin also. I know, we're about finished with this guys, don't worry if, I'm, if I haven't made you uncomfortable yet, we will but when, we get everybody, when everybody's uncomfortable then we'll get to the end, alright alright, James chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 shows how lust is the beginning of sin, James writes but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust then when lust has conceived it gives birth to sin and when sin is accomplished it brings forth death you know, I've been a Christian for a long long time Uh, and I've seen many, many times that sexual sin has caused the failure of a marriage or has caused a young person to walk away from his, his or her faith. When someone says, God can have all of my life except my body, they can have all of my life except my sex life, eventually they wind up walking away from God. Sexual sin pollutes your spirit. Sexual sin tears you away from God and it tears up the body of Christ, the church. And I can think, as I can look back in my history, I can think of some, some young women in particular I'm thinking of right now, that basically that God was doing a wonderful thing in their life, and then they met a man who wasn't a believer and said, I want to go the way he believes and what he's following, and they walked away from God. It's a sad thing, but it has to do with, again, not just the act of sex, but how sex has made us in relationship to each other. All right, we'll get off of that. Well, that's the problem. Let's talk about the solution. All right, pretty simple. Paul says the first solution is to run away from sexual sin. Verse 18 is pretty song, strong. It says, flee from sexual immorality. And this is the, not the only time that Paul has said this. To Timothy, his young protege, he said, he wrote in 2 Timothy 2.22, flee from youthful lusts and instead pr- pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Just like everybody who calls on the Lord from a pure, pure heart. So let's go back to verses 15 and 16 in this passage. Paul says, should I take part of Christ's body and make it a part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with the earth? For the scripture says the two will become one flesh. Why is he talking about prostitution here? Because the temple of Aphrodite. Okay, so that was Paul's placeholder for sexual sin at that point. So it did not have to be just a prostitute. I'm not just talking about prostitution here. By the way, if there are any young people in here and these words are confusing you, ask your parents or grandparents later, all right? That's all I can tell you, all right? So, I don't think we have any, I was only gonna do this in a day when we had Kidsville, okay? I would not have preached this sermon a day when we didn't have Kidsville and the kids were in here with us. So, so here's what he's saying, this is about any sexual sin, the prostitution is not just about that, it's about any sexual sin. Sexual sin is in your body and the other person's body is combined with yours, even if only for a short time of passion. So in a very real sense, And young people, I want you to hear this for sure, okay? Because this is a warning. When you climb into bed with somebody, you're not climbing into bed with just them. You're climbing into bed with everybody they've ever been in bed with. And they're climbing in bed with everybody you've been in bed with. Now, I don't say that to make anybody feel guilty. But I'm just telling you the truth of what it is because it becomes a part of you. It's a part of what is attached to your life now. Again, not trying to make anybody feel guilty for past sins that have already been forgiven but I'm trying to speak a truth that I think we all need to understand. What hap, okay, you heard this about what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, I'm gonna paraphrase that. What happens in sex stays in your mind and in your body and in your heart. So always flee from sexual sin and from sexual temptation. In fact, there was a good example of this in the Bible in Genesis chapter 39, verse 12, Joseph, had to slip out of his robe and run away naked to get away from Potiphar's wife when she tried to seduce him, all right? I'm thinking, would I have that kind of courage? I'm hoping I would. That seems sort of anti, uh, what is the word, anti-intuitive, all right, to get naked, to get away from, to to keep from having sex, but it worked for for Joseph at that point. So let's get to real practical stuff here. If you haven't been taking notes, if you got the little note sheet there, here's a place to start. I want you to look at the section on the back side called Sexual Standards for My Life. We're going to get real practical here. This is to help you make an escape plan to avoid sexual immorality. Now, I'm not saying that any of you have a problem with sexual immorality here. There is not, I'm not preaching this because I've heard stories. I'm saying this because I don't want any of us to have a problem with sexual immorality. And I'll tell you this, the reason, you guys know that um, my, I'll, I'll be honest, that my wife does not come to this church with us, and I've have made mistakes in my family. My family is not attending church right now, and that's why I'm an interim rather than uh, your regular pastor. That's that's one of the reasons. If you want to talk about that later, I can, but I'll just be honest. But one thing that's never happened in my, my family, neither my wife nor I have never had an affair, not even an emotional affair, and here's the reason why I, why I won't and haven't, because I will never and never have acted like I couldn't. I've always tried to set standards that would keep me from doing that. All right? In other words, stay far away from the temptation. For example, you know, if I if I walk up, I sometimes will walk up to the edge of the stage like, does it make anybody nervous when I do this? Nah, because you basically don't care if I fall Do your hand. It's like, that'd be so funny, all right? Like, I'm gonna take that clip out of the YouTube video and all right, you, all right? You're not, nobody's nervous about this, okay? If I stepped off of it, uh, I might. I might shatter a knee or something, but then he goes, oh, that'll be fun to watch him hobble around or something. But if this were a thousand-foot cliff and I were standing right here, would you guys be nervous? Okay. See, when it's a a three-foot cliff, two-and-a-half-foot cliff, you can walk over here like this, no big deal. But if it's a thousand-foot cliff, I'm standing back here. Okay? I'm not trying to get close-up pictures of that. You may remember I told you my story about Glacier Point and how I almost went over the edge of Glacier Point one time. I wasn't realize how this, what, the, what the cliff was like. So think of sex, sexual immorality, sexual sin as the 1,000-foot cliff. You know, if you lose your temper at somebody, that's still wrong. If, if you wind up being unkind to somebody, that's still a sin, and you need to forgive, ask God forgiveness and ask the person who sinned against forgiveness. But it's something that's easily recoverable from. But sexual sin is the 1,000-foot cliff. You back off here. You set standards way up in front like this. Now, we need to do that with all sin, but I'm saying sexual sin, that's the granddaddy of them all right there. So, set your standards way back here. And so, that's what we're going to talk about with this. So, here's just a few things to uh, to talk about as we get into this, alright? So, first, it's some general things. Set guidelines now, not when you need them. Um, especially for those of you who are unmarried, I'm going to say right now, the time to set your sexual standards is right now in church when you're surrounded by the body of Christ. It's not Friday night when you're sitting in a car or sitting on a couch by yourself and you're watching TV and you're slowly getting more and more horizontal, all right? It just doesn't happen at that point, all right? If you haven't set your sexual standards before then, you're not going to be able to set them then. So set them now before you need them. Don't go on the internet without accountability, all right? You know, um, at my at my home office, my my computer screens point toward the door. So if Anybody walks by, they can see what I've got on my screens. Should be that way all the time. Just a, a simple thing to do, avoid pornography and sexually suggestive material. Have an accountability partner. There have been times when I traveled a lot that I would, um, that I would have a friend that, would, that I would talk to later who would ask me, um, what'd you watch on television or in the hotel room? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, so if you need that, do it. Don't share intimate details with a member of the opposite sex. I try not to, to do that. Um, this is one I, I, I never did, but I, some people do for somebody. Don't have a work husband or a work wife. That also can lead to problems sometimes. You know what I mean by that? That person that, a work husband or a work wife, uh, just leads to trouble. Don't have the attitude that I deserve sex. I've known some single people that said, you know what, that's that idea. I, hey, I've got, the, I've got the plumbing. I deserve sex. Again, Again, I'm talking mainly to the single people here but if you're divorced or if you're, if you're uh, widowed or whatever, I'm just letting you say, there's never been one documented case of anybody that ever died from a case of celibacy. It just doesn't happen, all right? So don't worry about that. So you don't deserve sex. Hopefully God will allow that to happen in your life at some point, but under his, his leadership. And set reminders for yourself as you need to that your body belongs to God. Now I've got some specific things I wanna say for those who are married. I think we have them all up on the screen here at one time there, but just say, don't be alone with a member of the opposite sex, especially driving or meals. Now, I know nowadays that can't always happen. My wife was a, was a police uh, 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 chaplain. Sorry, I couldn't think of the word there, all right? Man, it's tough getting old. Um, police chaplain, there were times that how they had to do is that when, the, when it was her time to be the chaplain, they would the previous chaplain would drive over in the car, the chaplain's car, pick her up, and then she'd drive the previous chaplain over back to their house, and then when she was finished, she'd drive to the next chaplain's house, get the car, and they'd drive her back, and sometimes it's a so, uh, so I'm not trying to be legalistic with this, I'm just trying to give you some guidelines, to say avoid being at times that are times that have some intimacy and some seclusion that you, that you could, all of our offices at the church have, have windows open, have, have windows in so we can see, so we've always got this kind of accountability going on pray with your spouse that's one of my failures in my marriages I did not pray with my wife as often as I should have and so that and that alright and just continue to work on your marriage if you're dating right now here's my, my biggest clue for you guys who are dating don't date a Christian date a godly Christian just cause somebody says they're Christian alright when I find out uh, young people are dating, and I don't know, none of, the, none of the teenagers have ever come to me saying they had a boyfriend, or so if they have one, they've kept it secret right now. So I'm looking to see if anybody's looking, turning red. No, nobody is yet, so. Um, but, but one of the questions I always ask is, does that person love Jesus? Is that a godly person? Is it somebody who will challenge you spiritually? So start thinking about when you're, when you're dating. If they're not that kind of person, they're not worth your time. In, the, in a dating relationship, okay? Have a long-term view of your sexuality. Don't just live for the moment. Don't set yourself up for failure, thinking about when you're alone or how you're, you know, who you're together with, that kind of thing. Um, don't think, how far can I go? That was something that was really popular with the Christian teens when I grew up. How far can we go and God's still okay with it? And that's sort of stupid. That's like, how close can I get to the 1,000-foot cliff and not fall off. How are you going to know how far you can get to the thousand foot cliff without falling off? The only way you can do it is by falling off, right? Well, when I've gone too far. So always set your standards back further, okay? And then always offer every relationship, even a dating relationship, up to God. Now I want to pause for a moment here and say another thing. If you've already had a failure in this area, and boy, I know in any group this size, there's going to be tons of us. And I want to give you some encouragement here. We're talking about going forward. God forgives the past. We still still live in the past. We still have consequences. But God still forgives those things. So here's what I want you to realize. God has power even over our failures. If you're living in that failure, you're living where Satan wants you to live. And God does not want you to live in failure. Realize that sexual sin is not worse worse than any other sin. It's just a longer road back to God sometimes. So I want to encourage you with that. Don't give up because it was sexual sin. Take courage from the vast number of Christ followers who've made it back from sexual sin. There's, listen, I've I've seen on talk shows and things and, and uh, Twitter feeds of, of people who were former porn stars that now live for Jesus. Or have their website now dedicated to Jesus, that kind of thing. And so God can bring anybody back from that kind of sexual sin. There. are Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Christ followers who have made their way back out of sexual sin. Remember that Christ offers true forgiveness that's more powerful than any shame. Forgiveness is more powerful than shame. Then also remember that we're all broken people, and that's why we need Jesus. We don't need Jesus just because he shows a better way of life. We don't need Jesus because that's a nice way to live. It's a good philosophy. We don't even need Jesus just because He is God. We need Jesus because we've screwed up. And He gave His life for us. Well, enough about sexual immorality. Let's finish up with this, this thing. The last point I want to make is, honor God with your body. This is where we get a little more comfortable here, okay? Because it could be any kind of thing. He says, that last verse, he says, Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you have from God. So your body belongs to God, and your body's not just about sex. So that's really all. If you look at verse 13, he says the body's not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Verse 14, the body is important because God raised Christ's body. Verse 15, your body is a part of Christ's body. Verse 19, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, glorify or honor God with your body. So that's really what this passage is more about. Sexual sin just happened to be the thing that was big in Corinth at that point. But basically, we're saying our bodies need to honor God. So let's talk about some few things you can be. Oh, I lied. We're not going to get more comfortable here. I'm going to get some of you that have been comfortable with sex. You're going to be uncomfortable with some of the things I'm going to say now. But, all right, first, some of you need to get more sleep and have better sleep hygiene. Man, that's God made us that we need sleep. And if you're one of those people like, all I needs is four hours sleep, oh, tell me another lie, all right? Okay, maybe you don't need eight hours, but we all need sleep. So that is a way sometimes sleep can honor God, all right? Now, again, not during class, all right? That happens all the time. Um, In fact, Destiny, if you're in my class and you fell asleep, I pass out Sharpies to the people sitting next to you. So that's, actually, I rent them. 50 cents for two minutes with a Sharpie, all right? So it's just, you'd be surprised how well that keeps people staying awake. But get better sleep. Eat better and eat less. And I know, guys, I may not look it as much, but I'm overweight, right? I weigh over 200 pounds, and I'm like 5'9". And so I need to eat, eat more healthy, do a little bit better with that. You know, and when, I, when I joked about the empty calories, I wasn't joking. That's really kind of how I rationalize sometimes. So get regular checkups. Take care of your body. All right, here's the one everybody's going to hate, exercise. I know there's somebody here right now going, oh, man, I could sit and listen to a sermon about sexual purity all day, but you talk to me about exercise, I am walking out now but we just need to take care of our bodies because the more healthy your body is, the more it's gonna be able to, your mind and your spirit are gonna be able to be used by God. Now I'm not saying if you're unhealthy that that's wrong. We have people in our church whose bodies aren't functioning well right now because of a problem, because of an illness, because of age. Sometimes um, some of our godly people in our church saw me early out in in the lobby been down to pick up some paper and they were taking bets about whether i could get back up by myself and yes yes, i know who you were i i I know who was laughing at that but all right but um but yeah i know our bodies start to fail so i'm not saying your body has to be perfect in other words i want to get to this don't worship your body that's totally wrong don't ever worship your body the body is not what needs to be worshiped the body is just something connects to who we worship jesus so it's okay to take care of your body. When I hear about some of you guys going to the gym, or when I, when I offer a hunter a ride home, and he goes, no, man, I need to get on my bike and ride, I, am, I, I both love him and hate him for that, okay? Because I love that he's taking care of his body, but I hate how he makes me feel guilty that I didn't get on my bike and ride this week. But that's, I mean, so I love seeing that. When you guys talk about your volleyball games, and that kind of thing, or even Mark getting out and playing disc golf, which we have not done, we need to do again at some point, all right? So we're exercising. I started to say we're just exercising our arms, but man, my legs were tired after that day, all right? I went home and took a nap, but getting exercise, that's important. But don't worship your body, but on the other hand, don't hate your body either. Don't hate your body. Accept what you can't or shouldn't change. And then finally, I think it's up there already, just remember, it's God's bod. It doesn't belong to you anymore. It belongs to Jesus. You know, if you borrow somebody's car, don't you want to bring it back at least in as good a condition as you got it? Or you know one of those things, I'm one of those guys, if I borrow somebody's car, I'm going to put some gas in it before I bring it back and try to have a little more in the tank than what I left. Well, this body God gave me, I ought to return it You know, at least in as good a shape as I got it. Well, probably will. I'll probably need to be wearing diapers and I probably won't be able to talk right and I probably won't be able to walk when I return it. But But still, I'm going to try to... All right, I just had to make it light there for a little bit, all right? So let's talk about your response here with this, okay? Because we've been talking about sexual sin, and I was afraid this is going to be really creepy. And again, guess this is not what it's normally like. We are, we are strong on sin. We, we, we believe we need to try to live pure lives, sinless lives, but we're just not all about judging here and stuff. We are about God's grace and God's mercy and God's love and His redemption, but we're also about following Him. So here's what, what I want you to think about today. One, be aware of the strength of sexual temptation in your life. Some of us, it has, a, it has a bigger control on than others. All right? Some, some, you just need to avert your eyes anytime somebody's, you know, some of you are going to have a wreck watching somebody jogging or something, I know, but others don't even notice things like that. That's Okay, you just be aware of the strength of sexual temptation in your life. Second, recommit your body as well as your heart to the Lordship of Jesus. We Christians, we're Christians, we're big on talking about the heart, but remember, recommit your body to Jesus. That may be something different for you than it does for me, but you work it out with Jesus. Third, make and follow your plan for sexual purity. I don't care if you've been married for 40 years. You still need a plan for sexual purity. Maybe yours isn't as detailed as somebody who's 25 and single, but you still need one. And then finally, be accountable to each other. Let's be accountable to each other. And that not only means inviting accountability into... But also, well, let's just put it this way. If you see something, say something. I remember one of the most great examples of the body of Christ working like it ought to. I saw one time a man in a church I was a part of before had moved out on his wife and was having an affair. And one of the men in our church, guy was a schoolteacher, followed him from school, just followed like did the, 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 the private detective kind of thing, followed him over to the house of the woman he had moved in with. Knocked on the door and said, is Jim here? Jim came to the door and he said, we need to talk, let's go get coffee. The guy went back to his wife. Now, I can tell you, I haven't been that great at it. I have a friend, a friend who's Actually, you would if I mentioned his name, you would know him. you see him in the police department all the time. And I was friends with him, and he moved out on his wife, and i I never tried to, I, I never called him on it. I just let it happen, and that was a failure on my part. And I think we ought to be known as a church that we're going to stand up when a family is falling apart. We ought to say, if you're not willing to fight for your marriage, we as a church are still willing to fight for your marriage. And I know divorce happens. I know bad relationships happen. It's always a crisis when it does. I know sexual sin happens, but when it happens, we need people to come alongside saying, we're gonna help you get this fixed. We're gonna help you make it back. It's a journey back to a good, solid, close relationship with Jesus after that, but we're gonna walk with you in it. And we need to be the kind of church that says, if you see something, you say something to that person. It doesn't mean we need to be all up in each other's lives. But yeah, it does kind of mean we need to be all up in each other's lives, especially in areas like this, to be willing to confront in love and in a spirit of redemption. Now, my very last thing, verse 20 says, you were bought with a price. And I want to remind you right now, that price was the life of Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God. Jesus died on the cross to save us from all sins, including sexual sins. Without Jesus, it's impossible to control your body, to control your impulses. Only Jesus can conquer your sin because he died for your sins. And if he's not your master and Lord, something else will be. And as we say regularly in this church, if you have never accepted Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, today is the day to do that. When we we dismiss after announcements, do we have another song coming or we go right to announcements? To announcements. So after I pray, we'll have announcements. But after that, we'll be dismissed. And once we're dismissed, if you don't know what it means to have Jesus as your Savior and Lord, I want you to talk with me or Hunter or we've got other Christian leaders here, our board members who have other godly people who would be glad to talk to you about it. I don't want anybody to walk out of this room today not knowing that Jesus died for your sins and he offers right now to be your Savior and and your Lord, let's pray Father thank you for getting us through an awkward more difficult passage Father thank you for a gracious church that will listen to things like this once in a while and Father yes we want to focus on your forgiveness, on your grace on your mercy, on your vision for the future but Father we also want to be people who live lives that honor you and are the kinds of life you want us to live so Father today as we As we continue on, Father, I just pray that you would speak to every heart here in this room and you would give them all the wisdom and courage to be able to admit where they are with Jesus right now. And if they don't know Jesus, that they would be willing to accept him today.